before the seventh seal is chapter 7, and it's a parenthetical thing. The Lord shows us some very unique people. Thank you. Uh, 144,000 servants of God. That's our theme tonight. That's our subject. 144,000 servants of God. And kind of the key word tonight is, is a servant. All right. <clears throat> so what we'll do is um, you can take a glance at that. You can see those seven trumpets. And to the left, there's like a little parentheses down at the bottom, a little triangle. It says chapter 7. That's where we're at in the big picture of the book of Revelation. But now let's go ahead. If you want to maybe set that aside or you can use it to take notes on. Now let's go to Revelation 7 itself. And we're going to read these 17 verses. Revelation 7, uh, 17 verses. And I'll have, we'll get introduced to the book and have three main points tonight that uh, develop around this theme. All right, Revelation chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, I'll read out loud, you can just follow along. It says, And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed in hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasses were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him night, day and night in His temple, 
And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is a great passage here. Again, this this, um, between chapter 6 and chapter 8, an interlude, a pause. And you have a few of those in the book of Revelation. There's some series of things that will describe. Then I'll pause and say, okay, let's let you know about this. The idea is some of the things that you read in chapter 7 are happening during these other seals and these other judgments. That's why they have these parenthetical uh, chapters. Um, In this passage here, we're going to be introduced to a unique group. Now, let's just pause for a minute and think of Israel tonight. And um, the nation of Israel, that's where where God started His covenant, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. Uh, Jacob, the tribes, Jacob was Israel, and that's his covenant. That's where we get the Bible. What advantage hath the Jew? Much then every way unto them were committed the oracles of God. They have God, they were custodians of God's word. And even most of the, uh, many of the New Testament authors are Jewish Christians. The Jews, Israel is a unique blessed people, but by and large, since the time of Christ, they've said no to Christ Jesus They are kind of an empty religion, practicing Judaism. It's an empty uh, uh, religion, and it's not even strictly following everything Moses said. Uh, By the way, as a side note, they are going to return. It appears they're going to return to some form of blood sacrifice soon. You can find this. It's not even conspiracy. You can dig and find that they're, they're preparing implements for the priests in their robes and their instruments in the temple. And they, they might already have a temple already prefabbed in some warehouse somewhere. And when it's time, they're going to build it. Because Antichrist has to show up in that temple one day and declare he's God and prophecy gets kicked in. But they, right now, they're, they're rejecting Christ by and large. There's some Jews, there's always a small remnant that are saved. But, but among Israel, uh, they're not believing. But God's going to have some servants among them, some unique men that are going to believe. They're going to believe there's going to be, as we said, 144,000 of among that, of, of all of Israel. Somehow they're going to be able to identify because they don't know the tribes. Somehow, some way, they're going to be able to re-identify tribes genealogy somehow. I don't know how it's going to happen. It doesn't matter. God's going to make it work out. And they're going to have, among those, God's going to have a, a little first fruit of that group that are going to mean business with God when they believe. They're going to be serious believers. They're not just going to be saved and thanks for my life and eternal life insurance and I'm going to live my own life. They're going to mean business with God. And we're going to get introduced to them tonight unique group of men. You know what's interesting? Our nation has, we have our military, right? We have our different branches and we have men that stand ready, right? And men and women stand ready to serve. And then even in the branches, the branches have reserves, right? Uh, Some men might be called up from the reserves and need to be put to service. God has his reserves right here that he's going to put into action 
during this time of uh, war on earth, and they will be successful uh, in what they do. So we're going to learn about them tonight. Uh, we're going to look, here's the three main points that break down the chapter. The sealing of God's servants, the number of God's servants, and the fruit of God's servants. And we have subpoints in there that I won't illustrate. That's pretty much the, the, the slide, the rest uh, for tonight. This is it right here. All right, so let's consider these 144,000. Before I do even that, I want you to consider that for some reason, it doesn't have to be this controversial. For some reason, these things, this whole chapter, about 144,000 is controversial. Let me give you some examples. There's actually a religion called Raelism, which began in 1974 and follows the teaching of a former French journalist. It's now considered the largest UFO religion in the world. The followers of this religion believe that human life was the result of extraterrestrials. They also believe that there are a hundred... They also believe that there are 144,000 chosen people to continue the human race following basically the end of the world. They have actually attracted priests and bishops from other religions. This religion is popular outside of, the, of America in places like France and South Korea. And then there's another group, the Universal Church Movement, believes that extraterrestrials of the extraterrestrial, quote, Lord of the Flame brought 144,000 souls from planet Venus to Earth. Okay? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses claim they got, they, they're really com- convoluted and confused. They claim that the 100 years, they only started in the 1800s. Until 144,000, that was the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then they had a problem. When the number of Jehovah's Witnesses members grew beyond that, like, ah, oh, let's see here. And they had to come up with the, well, that was the heavenly band, and now there's 144,000 earthly band. And then they, the so-called church grew, and they're like, ah, oh, now they got the servant band. They just keep kind of breaking it down. There's a lot of bands they got, I guess. So, but that's what happens when you um, go from taking literal scriptures and just symbolizing it when it's not called for. It gets complex. Listen, we're just taking it plainly. Here tonight, understanding the Bible, 144,000. First of all, they're sealing. Verses 1 to 3, we see they're sealing. We see there's an angelic involvement in sealing them. And I'll tell you what sealing is here in just a minute. Notice verses 1 and uh, 2. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the earth should not blow, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Okay, so we're going to see some angelic movement and dialogue. But just think about what we just read. The earth, four corners of the earth. It's not like John thinks the earth is a cube or a two-dimensional square. All right. That's even, I think there's a, it's a contemporary phrase. If in some places we're at four corners of the earth, this means the four quadrants, north, south, east, west type of thing. But think about what it's saying. Four angels doing what? Oh, I thought angels are those little cute little things that fly around. Now listen, as you go through the book of Revelation, we're going to really see what angels are about. Powerful. Powerful. Holding the four winds of the earth. Now, they're basically going to freeze up at some point our cycle of stuff. Wind, 
evaporation, our whole weather pattern, they could just, four angels, just let's stop, 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 stop. And it's going to throw everything off. They're fixing to do that right now on the, in this text. To, they're getting ready to stop. The four winds is a, a, a part of whatever next judgment is. And as they're doing that, another angel says, hold up, fellas. <laughs> look what it says. Not fellas, but look what he says in verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending out of the east, having the seal of the living God, and cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth. That's what it would hurt the earth if they stopped the wind. And the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. So these angels are powerful. This is no joke. This is real. Angels have power. Wicked ones and God's angels. They're about to do this. And the other one's, whoa, hold on, guys. Got the seal here. Stop a minute. We got some business to do before you mess with everybody. All right? There's some angelic involvement here in... Um, getting these servants sealed. Notice what it says, hurt not the earth until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Now, I don't know much beyond what's stated there, but apparently, let's try to connect here. You have God's servants that we find out about here in a little bit. You have angels that are about to do something. One says, wait, we got some business to do. We're going to seal them in their forehead. Now, what's happening is you're going to have a host of these men We'll find out that it's only men here later that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're followers of the Lamb, it says in Revelation 14. So they believe, and angels are involved in this, in them coming to faith, and in them being physically identified with the Lord. Now, I want to pause a second. Now, I'm not going to make any more of anything than God already does. Just know this is a fact. In, in Hebrews 1.14, about angels and you and I, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation? I don't know how, I don't know what, but God just said in Hebrews that angels have a part, maybe in everyone, I don't know, but a good majority, angels have a part in ministering to those who will believe, who will get saved. That doesn't mean you worship them. doesn't mean you go looking around praying for them. It just means God has His servants that do His bidding, and they maybe they, perhaps most of us, they affected your salvation. Coordinating it that you would get to church. Making sure that, uh, that, that uh, you, know, you had something, that something worked out. Ultimately, it's God doing it, but he's got his servants to do his bidding. What for? To minister to those who shall be heirs of his salvation. We do our best in talking to someone with our mouth, handing a track out, praying for somebody, but God has his servants too to see to it that the heirs of salvation get his salvation. Well, here they are. They're affecting this 144,000 here. And now we see there's an angelic involvement at this ceiling, but there's an obvious imprint. This isn't, look at this. They're going to get a seal. Turn not till we have sealed the servants of our God. Now this means um, an imprint. <laughs> now, notice the one angel he has, it says he, he, has, a, he have, has a seal. If somebody has a seal, it means it belongs, either you're a king or it belongs to somebody else who's a king or very, very important. 
A seal typically is different types. Typically, it was like a signet ring on a, on a king. Does anybody have a signet ring? Anybody? All right. Sometimes people still have them. It's like a, you, know, you can do it to Im- impress things, usually on wax, put it on a document. There's other types of seals that maybe are bigger that you could put on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, a structure to, when it's closed. And it, it does a few things. When you seal something, seal the wax or seal it with a, a, a stamp uh, on paper or other different forms, maybe cast into something. A seal does a couple things. It authenticates it. It uh, identifies it, uh, what it is, and it protects it. A seal. These guys have an obvious seal on their forehead. Now, some of us have had things on our forehead that we didn't want. I remember going to teen camp before. There was a guy when I was a teen at teen camp. He thought he was Mr. Cool. He came along with our youth group, and we played softball. He's like, I said, hey, man, can you play? He goes, yeah, I can play. And the rest of us guys were okay playing. I played first base. We got out there in the field in, in Flagstaff playing softball. This one guy I thought was really cool. He goes, out. I'm like, just go out in right field, you know, because we didn't have a lot of lefties on the other team. Lefties usually pull the ball to right field. And I was like, I don't know if he's that good, so we just put him in right field. Put him in right field. We're playing softball at West Branch when it was in Flagstaff. Some guy goes, boom. I don't know if it was a lefty that ended up hitting it, but he hit it to right field. And the one guy's like this, like that. And he just went, and went, boom, and it hit him right on the forehead. And, uh, and, uh, and he came in, and he had a, he was so cool. He had the string print, the threads of the ball right on a softball, Dylan, right on his head like that, you know. And, um, I mean, I'm saying that it's probably going to happen to me next time I play softball, and I'll be the next illustration. But, um, you know, whatever. But I just, it just came to my mind having something on your forehead. Most of us, we don't want to have something on our forehead. I mean, my son Gideon's got the birthmark on his forehead, a little one right there, small. We used to say, Gideon, when he was a little kid, I said, Gideon, what is that on your forehead? He goes, it's a button. I said, who put it there? He said, God did. I said, how come? He goes, because he likes to. You know, that's what he told me when he was like four, you know. I'm like, that's good theology there, you know. And, but sometimes you don't want, but okay, so, I mean, all right, so these are going to have a f- imprint on their forehead. Now, wait a minute. In, sometime in this, in this time, there's other people who are going to have something on their forehead or on their hand or in their hand. The mark of the beast. These are contrasting. They're going to have the mark of the lamb. They're going to, well, they have their father's name, have God's name. I don't know if it'll say it in Hebrew or whatever, Yahweh, or Yehovah, Jehovah, whatever. It'll be God's name. In other words, it's going to be very obvious. They're not following Antichrist. They are following God. Very obvious. It's as obvious as their forehead. See, this is like a billboard God made right here. It's waiting for something. Okay? And they're going to have it. It's not going to be like secret disciples, you know. Hey, disciple. disciple. Nope. Very obvious that they're following the Lord. They are sealed uh, and it's known. Now, the Bible tells us that we are sealed. Before we go to the next point, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 4, 30, it says, For us, spiritually, after that you believed, after that you received the gospel of your salvation, after you first trusted Christ, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of God, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, God, if I can just picture it here, you, you accept Christ. His Holy Spirit goes inside of you. He closes you up. His Spirit is not leaving you. You're sealed until the day He 
the redempt, you are redeemed, but today the redemption of the body of the purchased possession, you go up and then there's no, it's like, okay, I'm, I, I don't necessarily have the Holy Spirit now that I'm up in heaven. I'm sealed to the day of redemption. The Bible says, Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So we have a sealing, uh, but we need to let our Christianity show Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, you know, I, by the way, you know, I'm not saying everybody go get a tattoo or something like that. I'm not saying that. If you're going to get a tattoo, let God put it on you. Yeah. You know, there, I think there's a verse in here somewhere we're going to get to about him putting his name on us. Let God do that uh, when he's ready to. All right, number two, their number. So that's the ceiling of them. There was an angelic involvement. Now their number. You say, well, that's pretty simple. Their number is 144,000. I know, but let's just consider this. It just says, um, verse um, 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed and their number, and the number, and they were sealed 144,000. Now, the reason I, we have to pause on this is because some people interpret the Bible and they read that, like, oh, you know what? That just means the church. That's just all Christians. Or that's the, um, that is the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they just try to twist and turn it. But it really doesn't, it just says 144,000. 12,000 times 12,000. How many of you guys, kids, doing your times tables? Times tables? Yeah. 10 times 10, 10 times 11, 10 times 12. 12 times 1, 12 times 2, 12 times 3, 12 times 12. It's like that's the one everybody stops at, the 12. 12 times 12, 144. I'm done. I don't want to do the times table anymore. Just give me the calculator. That gets me, you know, through the stuff. No more beyond 12 times 12. That was how it was with me. You know, I'm not doing beyond that. And uh, anyways, you know, unless it's like 100 times something, because then you just add the zeros at the end. But, um, you know, or 1,000 or whatever. But um, this is who they are. There's no... Okay, my point is there's no indication that we should symbolize it. Now, I'm going to pause a second. Sometimes in the Bible, things are said, and it is symbolic. But usually there's something, there's usually a hint there that's, hey, this is symbolic. Usually you get a hint that, oh, okay, it symbolizes something. But there's no indication that we should symbolize this. It says what it says. All right, so they're particular. There's a plain number. They're a particular number. Look what it says at the end of verse 4. 144,000 of, that means out from, all the tribes of the children of Israel. The children of Israel still exist today. They're scattered around the world. They're starting to come back to Israel itself and be part of the nation proper. And um, some of us might have Israeli blood in us. But here it's people who have identified apparently with Israel proper. And now they are being chosen. Now, I'm, we're not going to get into the list, but the list shows a common, uh, it shows all the tribes. There was a little bit of trading off of Joseph and Levi for Dan and Ephraim. And if you were to dig into the reason why, Dan and Ephraim were probably the tribes that it appears, I'm not going to run around all the scriptures, they're ones that first introduced idolatry into Israel. So Dan and Ephraim are not listed here. Instead, it is Levi who's normally left out because he's a Levitical tribe, and Joseph who's the, over the, the, the two tribes, the split tribes. They're put in there. And so 
Uh, but it shows a, this is Israel right here. They're a particular number. It's of Israel. It's kind of like this. Just say this. If you ever meet somebody, say, I'm one of the 144,000. I'm one of the, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Like, I don't meet everybody, people every day that says, you know. But if you ever meet somebody, say, which tribe? Which tribe are you from? If you're of the 144,000. And then if they, well, well, then, then this, you're just, then you're denying the, the Bible if you're not, if you say it's not meaningful to, to state the tribe. God's specifically stating tribes. He's specifically saying it's of a nation, Israel. He's specifically saying it's people on earth. So this is a unique group. And then they're not just a particular number, but a peculiar number. Now, this is for a whole nother message, but I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what we'll get to when we go to chapter 14. Chapter 14 tells us the following peculiarities about these men. They're men. They're all men. Does that the only mean the only people that can witness are men? No. It just means he picked all men. There's women in heaven. There's women who witness. But here, he just picked men. They're virgin men. Never married. Never fornicated. Never did any other sexual activity. Virgin men. And I take it, you know what? You're going to need to be not married during this time. If you're, especially if you're going to get some work done, especially during such a, 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 a difficult time on earth. It's best not to. And they're not. And they keep themselves, not just that they don't marry, they keep themselves pure. And they stay focused on God. And not only that, they're married, uh, not, not uh, virgins, and that they're men, but that they, um, they are, the Bible says, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. This is in chapter, from chapter 14. They, are, they, they shadow the Lord. Whatever the Lord says, they say. Whatever the Lord wants them to do, they do. And it says also that they, their speech is pure because it says their, their speech was without guile. They're not, you know, sometimes you meet a guy, so, oh, I got this single, you meet some single guy, and you're like, oh, guys, wait a minute, he's kind of tricky with his speech. No, these guys mean business with God. What they say is what they mean, and what, and, and what they're doing is pure, and they're keeping their body in, in subjection. And later on, we see that they're standing with Jesus, the Lamb, in the heavenly Zion, and they're singing a song with Jesus, and only they can sing the song. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is going to take 144,000 single, pure men, and when they die and they go to heaven, he's going to bring them and say, let's learn a song together. And only us, everybody else can listen, nobody else can learn this song. That's what it says. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. They're a peculiar number. Now, I want to, before we move on, I want you to think about something before we go to the next point. Think about this. Okay. Okay, we said, oh, these are hard times. These are bad times. And they're kind of hard times some, somewhat in America. And there's been hard times in other countries and other places throughout history. These will be the hardest times of hardest times in this time. But even in the worst of times, God still has his servants. And there's still people who are, there's still people who are uh, sanctified. And there's still people who will not bow to the worst of men, even devil-inspired men. In the worst of times, we don't have to bow to ungodly influence. Because sometimes, they say, oh, it's so hard nowadays. It is hard. Oh, there's so many temptations. There's a lot of temptations. Oh, there's so many, you know, even, even the leaders are corrupt. I know leaders get corrupt. 
this is the worst of the worst of the worst, and they, they still don't bow. And they still speak up. And they still identify with the Lord. And to me, I'm like, Christianity can be lived anytime then. Even now. That's what it's teaching me. This number, this number of the redeemed of His bride, we can still live for Christ now. If they can then, we can now. Number three, their fruit. The last point we see it, their fruit. So verses 9 to 17, it's implied everybody that reads the Bible, most of these literalists and conservative Bible commentators are saying what I'm going to say here too, is that what follows is what most people believe is the fruit of their work, which is converts. Look at verse 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Wow! Now this, when it says, look at verse 9, well those first two words, after this. Now, the, the construction, the you can see it there in English, and it's even more so as you dig underneath in the, the original language. It is a logical connecting statement. It's a, it's a connecting statement of close logic. Here you see all these men. Here you see these 144,000. And after that, look at this. That's how it's, it's showing. Look at what they did. Look at, by God's grace, what happened. Their fruit couple things about uh, several things about their fruit it shows similarity here in their their fruit to the original 12 what happened in these first these 12,000 in verses 1 through 8 and then what follows in the rest of the chapter reminds me of the first 12 Jesus had and the centuries that followed what did Jesus do took 12 Jewish men some of them were married, maybe all of them, a little different. But he took 12 men who were serious about following him, and he prepared them and ordained them, and look what they did. They turned the world upside down. I know the world didn't all get saved, but you know the Christian ethic has permeated a lot of the world. Some of the best and greatest nations um, that have had a positive effect on the world have their roots and the effect and, and, and influ- have been influenced by Christianity. So uh, uh, Jesus used 12 men to bring fruit, take, uh, reap fruit from the world through the starting of the church and were a result of that. So also these 12,000. So they're, similarity, they're similar to the 12 apostles. They seem to fulfill a scripture. Look at chapter, hold your place in Matthew 24, 14. Pardon me, hold your place and go to Matthew 24, 14, um, where it says... In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus is talking about some of the things during the tribulation time. I, I don't, most of what he says in chapter 24, I don't think is during the church age. Most of it isn't. But notice in Matthew 24, verse 14, um, and he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. I believe that the 144,000 are fulfilling 
this scripture, Matthew 24, 14, they're making sure the gospel is preached in all the world and to all nations. And when it's set and when God is faithfully witnessed to the world, all right, then the end comes. Their fruit seems to fulfill of this, be a fulfillment of the scripture. Their fruit is a sample of all sorts. If you go back to, to Revelation 7, verse 9, look what it says. After this I beheld, and oh, a bunch of Americans. Oh, and a bunch of Chinese. No, it's like everybody, all sorts, is what he said. After this I looked. John's like, okay, I'm watching all this stuff in heaven. The seals, this seal, that seal. Oh, we got a break here. 144,000. And then all of a sudden I see, what? Whoa, all sorts, a sample of every type of nation, tongue, kindred, and family in heaven. Um, all nations, kindreds, the word nations in the Greek means ethnos. It said all ethnicities and families and peoples and languages stood before the throne and before the Lord with palms, uh, with white robes and palms in their hands. So what, what was the last time we remember reading about palms in the New Testament? The, the week before, yeah, the week of Jesus' passion and the Jews, they, they did the palms and they throw it down on the ground and they recognized momentarily Jesus as their Messiah. Now here they're doing it in truth with the experience of salvation. Um, it's amazing, just a, a thought, a couple thoughts here. The Bible says there's a, all sorts of people. Is the fruit of these Jewish men preaching all sorts of people from all around the world. And when John sees them in heaven, he can see it. Isn't that amazing? He sees, a, he sees that they're different types. Uh, it's like we're, somehow we're going to bear some distinctions somehow in heaven. You know, I just hope it's all better looking, right? But he, maybe God doesn't want us to forget some things. John says, oh, that, that, that's Asian, African, European, you know? John shows us that. Reminds me of Noah. Remember Noah and the ark? We, have, we teach Noah and the ark and everything, collected two of every sort. But think about this. Noah has this ark ordained of God. Only one thing was ordained of God to save people, that ark. And he was to collect two of every sort. Some of them, there was a few extras because of the sacrifice that was going to be done afterwards. Two of every sorts get in. It's closed up, and they're lifted up from wrath. That is such a picture of Jesus Christ. There's one ordained way to be saved from God's wrath. Jesus Christ, he's the ark. Plain, I think the ark was very plain looking. Jesus is a very plain person on this earth. We go into him, we're lifted up from God's wrath, and you know who's in him? Every sort of person, every type of creature. And that's what we see these Men do, they find of every sort that become, become believers and you see the fruit of that in heaven and you see samples of it. And then you see the, they're celebrating. As we mentioned, their palms in their hands. They're celebrating salvation to our God, verse 10 says. And to the Lamb, or um, to our God who sitteth, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. They're celebrating. Not only do they celebrate, their celebration strikes up more praise. Okay, so again... This huge, innumerable group of internationally represented peoples, all sorts. Wow, right robes, palms on the hands. Whoa, just appear. Wow, a whole bunch of people just got saved in the worst of times. And they praise the Lord, and all of a sudden John's like, whoa, what are the angels doing? Now all the angels, look what it says. 
in the verse there. Um, verse 11, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts who were already close there to the throne. They fell before the throne and their faces and worshipped God. Now, again, I'm amazed when angels worship God. I mean, they do have, they, everybody should worship God, but angels have never been lost and then redeemed. There's some lost angels that are staying lost. It's the devils. And there's some elect angels that are staying elect on God's side. They don't know personally. They observe it. They observe us. They don't know being lost and found. We know being lost and found. They don't know it, and yet they're falling on their faces and worshiping God and thanking God, saying, Amen, verse 12, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and uh, honor and power and might be under our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, again, I've said this before, but it always strikes me. It always hits me as I'm watching this stuff in heaven. Angels who know not redemption are lavish with God worshiping him. I don't want them to out, as Spurgeon said, don't let them outdo us earthlings who know redemption better than they do. But that's what they're doing, and, and uh, they're happy that this innumerable group of people are saved. They're happy about it. By the way, it appears that angels do get happy when people are saved. There's joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repenteth, Jesus said. So they're celebrating. Then they're, and then there's a specific identity that the elder wants them to know. That we're going to work our way through this here. We're making progress. Look at verse 13. So John's there watching all this. Look at verse 13. One of the elders, man, there was 24 elders. We have some keys. We have some hints that we believe make us believe that that represents the church. We believe there's a basis for that. But one of the elders said to John, hey, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Now, this is funny. John's watching all this, and one of the elders, he's, he's been in heaven. He's, uh, he's got a crown and all this stuff, and he goes, hey, who's this big crowd over here, John? Who's that? Who, who are these people in white robes? Where is that? And John's like, uh, you, you know, sir. You know who it is. And I think what's happening is, is this elder wants John to know clearly who they are. Let's make it a clear identification. Let's not be confused. Now, I want you to pause a second. John didn't look at him and say, I know who that is. That's the church. The church has been just struggling through the, through the tribulation, and now they're there. I know who they are. He didn't say that. He didn't know who they are. He just sees a whole sample of a whole bunch of people that are redeemed. It seems a little bit unique to them, to him, with the palms and stuff and all that. And the elder says, don't you know? John's like, you know who they are. So the elder tells him, here's exactly who they are. And look what it says. They came out of great tribulation. Look what it says in verse um, 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou, verse 14, I said unto him, thou, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He didn't mention anything about, well, this is the church. He just says these are people that believed and they just came out of the tribulation. Again, I, I'm, God is faithful. God is not having a seven-year, uh, some kind of, um, you know, strange, taking strange pleasure in just punishing people for seven years. He's laying out different judgments in a paced way and intermingling it with witness. In fact, there's an angel that's going to preach the gospel you'll see a little later. And he's, he's giving people a chance and giving people a chance and here, people that get saved, they come out of the tribulation. Now, I, I, quite honestly, I don't know if they're all martyrs. It doesn't say they're martyrs. We, 
we, we were introduced to martyrs in the chapter before that. But it says they came out of the Great Tribulation. Perhaps, you know what? Perhaps they died like everybody else in an earthquake or with some kind of crazy hail falling from the sky. Perhaps they died like other people. And, but they went, instead of hell following them, heaven followed them. But that's who they are. And they, the Bible says what? They washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's a statement of my, my uh, uh, person, the, who I am, the, um, my righteousness, I have none. I'm washing it. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm, I'm righteous because of this Lamb's perfect blood that's cleansed me in God's, on God's record and by God's economy. I'm washed. And then they're relieved. Notice also they're specifically identified as coming out of the tribulation, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and relieved. This is wonderful language here. Look at verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. He that dwelleth, pardon me, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now I want to pause a second. Some of this language is also specifically stated of uh, other other people who go to heaven. So in other words, we, sh- we will experience this as well. The relieving of earthly agonies, earthly deficiencies, earthly afflictions. We're going to experience the same relief. Let's, let's look at what they get. They shall hunger no more. Perhaps this large group that's in heaven, when they were on earth and they didn't take the mark of the beast, they got hungry. Because you couldn't buy or sell unless you had it. So they had some hunger for a while. Not anymore. Perhaps it says they shall thirst anymore. Perhaps these that are in heaven, when they didn't, because they didn't take the mark of the beast, perhaps water was being rationed and they couldn't even buy it or find it because there was some judgments that related to water. Not anymore. Not going to thirst anymore. It says that the sun, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. There's, there will be some natural, uh, uh, supernatural afflictions that God's going to send on the earth. And some people that are believers are going to be feel it for, for some time. Not anymore. And then what it, look what it says in verse 17. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. God's getting, perhaps there's a lot of tears and a lot of afflictions, but they knew they're bound for heaven. They're bound to see the Lamb. They're bound for, um, to, to put off this um, corruptible body this, and then put on an incorruptible body and experience a place of bliss. And God's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes, it says. That's where they are, the servants of God. That's their fruit. And so, this, it would, as I kind of step back and look at this, I look at the, these men that are yet in the future. They're called servants. That's what they're called. And I think, it makes me think, you know, they're not slothful. They're not couch potatoes. They're not deadbeats. Nor are they big shots. The big shots of God. God's big shots. God's master, God, the masters, they're called servants. And it makes me think, in the worst of times, 
we can still be servants, and we should be servants to God. And even in the worst of times, being a servant to God makes a difference. It can make a difference. And we shouldn't have an excuse. You know, I can't, nobody can't serve God anymore. It's just so, no excuse, no excuse. I should always be a servant of God, no matter how difficult times are. I should always be God's servant. He's worthy of it. He first was my servant when Jesus Christ in heaven thought of not robbery to be equal with God. Laid aside the prerogatives, not his deity, but laid aside the prerogatives of his deity. Came to earth, made himself a, took on the form of man, made himself a servant, humbled himself to accomplish something for me. I can do the same for him, no matter how bad the times are. Let's thank the Lord on that note and close in prayer uh, for our message tonight.